If you would turn in your Bible to the book of Proverbs, right after the book of Psalms, we're in chapter 3 of Proverbs. Uh, we'll be looking at verses 13 to 35. As you're turning there, we have seen uh, at the very outset of this book the, the purpose statement of the book in chapter 1, verse 2, to know wisdom and instruction, to know wisdom and instruction. And we have said that wisdom is the ability, the desire to live godly lives. Uh, Or others have said it's skill or ability in the art of godly living. Wisdom is where the commandments of God and the word of God uh, are being worked in a person to build in them a godly or Christ-like life. It's about the, the shaping and building up of the people of God. Uh, for one year during my engagement to, to Shelley, I worked three different uh, jobs. One of them lasted just about three months' time, and it was working for a small uh, construction business. And in those three months, we had one task. It was to build a two-story addition uh, onto a homeowner's house from the beginning to end, laying the foundation to nailing on the roofing. Um, let's be clear, I did not receive the job because of past experience or proven skill. Um, and I don't know how much skill I have today in that area. But being a novice and a beginner in that work, I learned a lot uh, in those three months. But the first thing I learned, and I was reminded of, I think, quite a bit, was that just because I had a tool belt around my waist did not make me a builder. Right? Uh, I had to learn. We have to learn to use and wield the tools to build something reliable. Proverbs is about wisdom. And wisdom is about growing in the skill and the appropriation and the application of God's word and God's ways in our lives so that our life in Christ is being built up into a house that's reliable and godly and sturdy and where the presence of God dwells and the grace of God dwells. So let's see here in Proverbs 3, the wisdom of God for us. Proverbs 3, beginning at verse 13. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open, and the clouds dropped down the dew. My son... Don't lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. They will be life for your soul, adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Don't be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked. When it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Do not withhold good from those to whom it's due when it's in your power to do it. Don't say to your neighbor, go and come again, tomorrow I'll give it, when you have it with you. Don't plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. 
Don't contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence. Do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. This particular passage, uh, within the first nine chapters of the whole book of Proverbs, which uh, is a a particular uh, part, holds together the first nine chapters, here in this passage we have the fourth appeal to hear and to heed the path of wisdom. Of the nine or ten appeals, here is the fourth appeal to hear and heed this wisdom and words. And in each of the appeals thus far, there's a, there's a bit of a progression or intensification in the appeals. So we heard the first appeal in chapter 1, verse 8, which said, Hear, listen, my son, to your father's instruction. The second came in chapter 2, verse 1, My son, receive or accept my words, treasure them. We saw a third appeal in chapter 3, verse 1, My son, don't forget my teaching. And now, in chapter 4, verse 21, you have a fourth appeal. My son, do not lose sight of these. Guard sound wisdom. From hearing to receiving to not forgetting to not losing sight. It's it's all emphasizing this diligent attention upon these things, upon this wisdom. Because as verse 22 says, it will be life for your soul. And the reason for these strong and repeated appeals is really because of the worth of this wisdom, the worth of this path. And that's the first thing to see in verses 13 to 18. The worth of wisdom. Verse 13, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver. Her profit is better than gold. She's more precious than jewels. And nothing you desire can compare with her. What a claim that there is nothing you can desire in your heart that compares to the worth and value of this wise path. Now we might say, well, there is something of greater worth. God himself But wisdom really is an extension of God. It's a character of God. It's something God wields and uses and is working in the life of his people. And so Solomon, one appeal after another, is seeking to sell and offer this wisdom. I think the the PepsiCo company, which owns numerous brands from from Doritos to Pepsi Soda, I think will spend over $100 million dollars in 2021 on advertising alone, marketing, commercials, all for one purpose, to create in you a hunger, a thirst. That's what they're seeking to do, and apparently it works. That's just for a bag of chips, right, and a can of soda. No wonder Solomon is offering appeal after appeal after appeal, trying to sell and offer wisdom to his sons and those those who will listen, those who will hear. 
This is why wisdom was personified in part in chapter 1 as Lady Wisdom. And she's out in the streets in the marketplace and at the city gate. Her raising her voice, we're told. Crying out. Trying to get people's attention. To take hold of this. To see its value and see its worth. To not let go of it. Don't lose sight of it. Consider in your own life, what is the most valuable possession that you own? Think about that. Maybe it's jewelry passed down from your mother or grandmother. Maybe it's your house or an investment or a piece of property. Maybe it's a family heirloom. I know while Shelley and I were first married living in Orlando, we were attending seminary. I think it was 2003 when a string of about five or six hurricanes were threatening the Orlando area. We, we didn't have much at the time, but I remember the discussion we, we had as we were preparing for those hurricanes. Uh, if our duplex, our little duplex is undone, is there anything of value, anything that we own that we would want to preserve? There wasn't much. Um, besides my seminary books, could put that, it was basically photo albums, scrapbooks, and we covered them. We protected them with plastic. As important and meaningful as something like memories, photo albums, family heirlooms might be, nothing compares with the wisdom and godliness which the Lord is seeking to work in the life of his people. Because he's not merely seeking to capture memories for us, to give us memories. He is seeking to build in us a life, a godly life after him. And he gets to its worth by way of comparison. The gain from her, from wisdom, is better than gain from silver. Her profit is better than gold. She's more precious than jewels. We might put it this way. Money, silver, can put food on the table. But wisdom puts laughter around that table. That's what godliness does. Money can buy a house. Wisdom makes a home and fills that home with good and godly things. Money can buy a woman jewelry. Wisdom wins her heart and serves her. I can have silver. I can have gold. I can have the wisdom and skill to make much money. But I can ruin and wreck my life if I do not receive the only wisdom that brings a person to the tree of life. That's what Solomon is offering. And we see it in verse 18. He says this wisdom is a tree of life to those who will lay hold of her. What a profound image here we see in several places within the scripture. This image of a tree, a tree of life. This image, this picture represents immortality and healing and restoration. It brings us back to the creation account uh, when Adam and Eve were offered and commanded to eat of the tree of life. And they rejected it. They severed themselves from the very line that united them to the source of life, God himself. The, the image also ushers us forward to the end of history. In the New Jerusalem in Revelation chapter 22. Where we are told that the leaves of the tree of life are for the healing of the nations. And between the garden 
In Genesis and the New Jerusalem in Revelation, here you have Proverbs. Proverbs is offering this tree of life. Ultimately, it's pointing to the very person and work of Jesus Christ, who is the true vine. We heard this preached last Sunday evening from John 15, where Jesus said, I am the true vine. You're the branches. Abide in me. You'll have life. You'll have fullness of joy. We also see the worth of wisdom here captured by one word. It kind of brackets the first section of verses 13 to 18. The word shows up twice in verse 13 and 18. It's the word blessed. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom. And then in 18, those who hold her fast are called blessed. Blessed. It's a word we, many of us know, means happiness, joyfulness. And it, perhaps it's common today to hear people say, I know I've used those words, I'm, I'm so blessed. But often it's in reference to some material benefit. A new car, job promotion, a clean bill of health, a great vacation. Those may be blessings, but it's hardly ever used this way in the scriptures. To be blessed is to grow in the likeness of God. And this is the language that Jesus uses in the Beatitudes. In Matthew 5, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who recognize their emptiness and need for God. To be filled by him. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those persecuted for the sake of Christ. Wisdom is the path of blessing because it's the path in which his grace and wisdom is being worked in his people. So we see the worth of wisdom. But then Solomon goes further and he specifies how this wisdom has worth to us in a practical, in a specific way. That's verses 21 to 26. He says, my son, don't lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom. They will be life for your soul. You'll walk securely. Your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. Your, your sleep will be sweet. Don't be afraid of sudden terror. When it comes, the Lord will be your confidence. Those walking in the path of God's wisdom and grace are described as people at rest. These are people at peace. These are people who feel a sense of security. Why? Because they have a confidence in the Lord. So this wisdom is practical in that it dispels fear from the lives of his people. And yet we know fears can abound in life. The Puritan John Flavel said, It cannot be said of any man that he is made without fear, even the most courageous are not without some fear. I think if we scratch beneath the surface of our lives, fears may begin to surface. Fear of not being accepted by other people, that particular group. Fear of not attaining to a particular goal. Fear of illness. Fear of death. Fear of losing a loved one or loneliness. Fear of being marginalized as Christians or the church in society. Fear of this party or that party having influence. 
fear of my own sin being exposed. Many are the fears that will seek to take ownership and be master of our lives. It reminds me of Israel in Exodus 14 on the edge of the Red Sea, the Egyptians charging in with army and chariots, God's people seemingly between uh, enemy and sea. And then the Lord speaks through Moses. Fear not, people. Stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. The Lord will fight for you. God dispels fear. He gives his people a confidence. Not in themselves, not in what we do or our circumstances. It's confidence in him, in his glorious work that he's accomplished. Ultimately, through that man upon the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus draws near his people. He speaks words of peace. Fear not, little flock. Jesus says, it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom in Luke 12. Those words in verse 26, for the Lord will be your confidence, can be translated, the Lord will be your companion, or the Lord will be at your side. It's emphasizing the presence of God, that presence that dispels fear. Perhaps there's Little that is more comforting and life-giving in the life of faith in the presence of God. Wisdom is not an impersonal force. It's the very presence of the living Christ, close to his people, moment by moment, telling them, I am at your side. I'm at your side. Maybe you are not feeling and have not been feeling the presence of God in your life. Maybe you feel spiritually dry or empty. Maybe you're wondering where God is as dark clouds circle about you, whatever your circumstances might be. I want to leave us with the assurance that God's wisdom and presence is at work within us. And Solomon portrays it in such a marvelous way, beginning in verse 19 and 20. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By wisdom, by understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. It's almost as if uh, wisdom is like a tool, a paintbrush in the hands of God. What he used to create the world, the stars, the clouds, the seas, in all of its beauty, complexity, and glory. Notice the past and present tense in these two verses. He founded the earth by wisdom. Past tense. But then he says, the clouds drop down the dew. That's present. The clouds, rain. They are a reminder of God's continued presence and work in this his world. In a Thanksgiving sermon a few years ago, John Piper, a pastor and Christian author, preached on these words in verse 20. The clouds drop down the dew. This is what he said. 
Picture yourself as a farmer in the Near East. Far from any lake or stream, a few wells keep the family and animals supplied with water. But if the crops are to grow and the family is to be fed from month to month, water has to come on the fields from another source. But from where? Well, the sky. The sky? Water will come out of the clear blue sky? Well, not exactly. Water will have to be carried in the sky from the Mediterranean Sea over several hundred miles and then be poured out from the sky on the fields. Carried? How much does it weigh? Well, if one inch of rain falls on one square mile of farmland during the night, that would be 27,878,400 cubic feet of water, which is 206,300,160 gallons, which is 1,650,501,280 pounds of water. Well, that's heavy. So how does it get up in the sky and stay up there if it's so heavy? Well, it gets up there by evaporation. Really? That's a nice word. What does it mean? It means that the water sort of stops being water for a while so it can go up and not down. Oh, I see. Then how does it get down? Well, condensation happens. What's that? Well, the the water starts becoming water again by gathering around little dust particles between .00001 and .0001 centimeters wide. That's small. What about the salt? Salt? Yes, the Mediterranean Sea is salt water. That would kill the crops. So what about the salt? Well, the salt has to be taken out. Oh, so the sky picks up a billion pounds of water from the sea, takes out the salt, and then carries it for 300 miles and then dumps it on the farm? Well, it doesn't dump it. If it dumped a billion pounds of water on the farm, the wheat would be crushed. So the sky dribbles the billion pounds of water down in little drops. It's really the marvel and wonder of God's creation. That's just one glimpse into an explanation, in a scientific kind of way, I suppose. And the point is that if God, by his wisdom, can work that kind of wonder in his creation... How much more is he interested in wisely and wonderfully shaping us by that wisdom? He is interested. Absolutely. Paul says we are the workmanship of God created in Christ Jesus. So it turns out that wisdom is not first a tool in our tool belt... It is a tool in God's hand by which he is working his grace in our lives, marvelously, wonderfully. And one of the clear ways his wisdom shapes us is in our relationship to those around us. That's how chapter 3 ends in the final verses, with this very horizontal relational Thrust. He's working his wisdom in us, shaping us in many ways, including relational. So we'll end with these words. He says, don't withhold good from others. Don't plan evil against your neighbor. Don't contend with another for no reason. The Lord's curse is on the wicked, but he blessed, blesses the righteous. To the humble he gives favor. I think he's driving at the point that one of the marks of wisdom in our lives is how we relate to other people. 
And in this way, it points out the very teaching of our Lord Jesus. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love even your enemies. Love one another as I have loved you. As the church relates to others, as the church loves others, not according to their actions, but according to God's action toward us in Jesus Christ, that's when the gospel and the kingdom of our Lord goes forth with tremendous power. Who are these people who will love, be gracious, be giving, even to those who are opposed to them? And yet, isn't that what our Lord Jesus demonstrated? For he demonstrates his love for us in this. While even we were still sinners, the Lord Jesus died for us. And that is what we have displayed in the table before us. Each communion Sunday. Let's pray together. And Father, we thank you for your wonderful wisdom that by it you created all things, shaping this your world, and by it, Lord, you're continuing to shape uh, we, your people. Lord, we, we pray that by your grace and spirit, you would cause us increasingly to see and to lay hold of this path of wisdom and path of godliness. We pray that you would do that work in our hearts, that in the same way that you marvelously and creatively display uh, your, your work in creation. We pray, Father, that we would see the ways, uh, the marvelous ways in which you are working in our lives and us as a church together. Lord, may we yield to that, that path, um, that wise and godly path. And Lord, may we, may we know it and find it indeed in the person of Jesus Christ in whom we have life uh, forevermore. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.